0: Sisters, it's west side of Bachelor, and it has rainbow trout that are up to three feet long in it. And they have this sign that says you can only fly fish with a fly pole and a fly, and you have to release whatever you catch. I know. That's what I feel about it, too. But um, on, on the first part of our vacation, that's where one of the lakes that Lynn and I went and kayaked. Uh, because we really like that lake. It, it's in a hundred years, if you're still around, it'll be a meadow. It's an old lake that's filling in, but it's a it's a great place to go. And this was about eight o'clock at night that that we were there. And so, just a little bit about our vacation. We went to Ashland, Oregon. Actually, we went to. Halfway between Ashland and Klamath Falls in the Cascade Mountains, a little place called Hyatt Reservoir. Do you know where that is? It's where we were at. Hyatt Reservoir. So it wasn't quite halfway between, but it was close enough. Uh, and the reason that we went is because uh, my three daughters decided that since I was turning 60, they needed to make fun of me and celebrate. <laughs> so, they, and the reason that we picked Ashland is because Aaron and Blaine, who live in San Jose, it's about six and a half hours from there if there's no traffic or no construction. It took them eight and a half hours. Um, Kelsey and, and Kyle and Elise live in Portland. It's six hours from there if there's no tra You know the whole story. It took them eight hours. And it's about six and a half hours from here. There is no traffic, but it always takes longer than that to get there. <laughs> and so we went to Ashland. And they rented the girls found, Aaron found a cabin for us to rent on Hyatt Reservoir. It was a log cabin. It was great because it it had um, bedrooms and a loft, and then it had a little cabin off to the side that Lynn and I got to stay in so we didn't have to be with the rest of them. Because on the first night, at 1 o'clock in the morning, the bats came in the cabin. And um, I don't know if you know my daughters very well, but... They get a little squirmy about those things. So they screamed and hollered throughout the cabin, and they tried to chase them and catch them and things like that. Never did. Um, they went into rooms that bats couldn't get into and spent the night. Didn't bother me a bit. I slept clear through it all. But we had a great time. Uh, and, and yeah, now I'm older, and I want to thank you for the, the card and the gift that you guys gave me. I appreciate you and and appreciate that. Very much. So you're going to see some pictures of our of our vacation. Lynn, by the way, is at her parents. Have, so when we came back last week, we brought Aaron and Asher, who's our grandson, and Kelsey with us. And then on Wednesday, we took them to Nampa so that Aaron could stay a day or so with her in-laws so that they could spoil their grandson as well. And Kelsey... Um, went with us down there to fly back to Portland, because it's shorter to go to Boise and fly back to Portland than it is to drive to Portland from here. So then Lynn decided to stay there. She's with her parents, helping them out, um, doing some things that they can't or can't do or don't necessarily want to do, but she's a slave driver. So they've already um, shampooed the carpets, and they're cleaning out closets and just cleaning stuff. And I'm glad I'm not there. Because I'd have to help do it. <coughs> so uh, that's what I've been up to the last... Well, it's been two weeks now. So sometime this week, I'm going to go pick up Lynn. I'm not sure which day that'll be. But sometime this week, I'll go pick her up. And then she'll be back here for next Sunday. So today I want to talk about... Um, and I want to preach about who we are and why we're here. So this is a reminder for all of us uh, of who we are and why we're here. Because at times it gets real easy to just be. To just be in church. To just, you know, and, and we kind of go through the motions. And we get in the habit of, of just um, being where we're at. And not necessary, and we sometimes forget why we're doing it. Kind of like the, the lady um, invited the, the preacher over for dinner, and, and he's over there and she's fixing ham, and she cuts off both ends of the ham and puts it in a pan and puts it in the oven. You've heard this before, haven't you? He says to her, Why do you do that? Well, I don't know. My mom always did it. So he goes to her mom and asks her that question later in the week. And she goes, well, I don't know. My mom always did it. So she goes to her, he goes to her mom and says, why do you do that? And she goes, well, I did that because our pan was too small for the whole ham and I had to cut it up to put it in. And we sometimes do things because that's the way it's always been done. And we forget why we do things. So I'm here to remind us of why we do things. And so I want us to look at some scripture. By the way, we're in the book of Isaiah. We're reading together, and if you don't have the reading plan, we have some booklets out here right outside those double doors on the wall. We're we're in the book of Isaiah, and you know, being in July of our second year, we're three-quarters of the way through the Bible. It's pretty good, isn't it? By December 31st, we'll have completed reading the Bible. For some of us, it'll be the first time. For some of us, we've done that all the time. But but we're reading the Bible and we're reading it together. So we're in Isaiah right now. Isaiah um, 39 and 40 or 38 and 39 was today's scripture. And uh, 39 and 40 was today's scripture. And so I'm going to be quoting a Scripture that we're not going to read for another week and a half. But it's in Isaiah. And and Isaiah, you know, was a prophet of God who who at the very start we read how he was in the temple doing what he's supposed to do in the temple and God appeared. And the cherubim appeared and, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and he said, woe is me, I'm an unclean man and an unclean and one of the angels took some coal off of the uh, altar and put it on his lips and said, you're now clean and God sent him to the people of Israel but he also sent him to us because after chapter 40 we hear more and more and more about Jesus Christ and the prophesying of Jesus Christ but it's uh, the book of Isaiah was God's conversation with Israel, with the Jewish people, Judah and Israel together. That conversation he was having about how you have forsaken me, you need to come back to me, and this is how I'm going to do it. He also promised that they'd go into exile. But, I'm not promising us that. But Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Which says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the ca- that captivities will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those, I should back up, um, where it says that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed not talking about people just in jail or in another country think about it think about the people that have been captive or prisoners to their sins that have been captives or prisoners that have been held for years in bondage whether it it was to drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography or bad family you know the I just saw in the news this last week, I just read the headline about a couple that was arrested because they were hold, holding people on their farm um, and making, basically making them slaves. It's about those, too. It's not just you know, prisoners in jail or, or people that are held captive in some form. It's not just physical, it's spiritual, too. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. And once again, it's not just people or nations that the anger is against. If you remember Ephesians chapter 6, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. It's against evil. It's against the ruler of this dark earth. It's against the prince and principalities of the air that are trying to destroy us in our relationship with God. It's against those enemies that's talking about. And that's Isaiah uh, 61, 1 and 2. Now look at Luke 4. I didn't put it in there. I thought I did. Um, look at Luke 4, 18 and 19. You can flip it in your Bible, and I'll just read it to you. Luke 4, 18 and 19. This is Jesus talking. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. That impressive? And you know, if we call ourselves Christians, which means we're followers of Christ... He's put that on you too. He's put that on me too. We're not just here to save ourselves and go to heaven. The spirit of the Lord is on us because he anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. You know that's why the Nazarene church was started, right? Bet you didn't know that. Now you do know it. The Nazarene church was started because Phineas F. Brzee felt that the Methodist church had forgotten. Gotten what they were there for, which w- originally was for the poor. And Phineas F. Brzee started his, in his church said, "We will serve the poor." And if you ever read any of the old manuals in the history of the Church of the Nazarene, one of the requirements was the building couldn't be grand and glorious; it had to be usable. So we have a building that's usable. It can't be just for Sunday morning. It has to be able to serve the poor in our community. And you know, every Sunday afternoon, they served lunch to everybody. They also made lunches and and got on the, the trolley and went to the beach and swam every Sunday afternoon that they could. It was in Los Angeles, by the way. And if you go to that original Nazarene church, which is still a Nazarene church, you'll find out it's in, still in one of the toughest, most dangerous neighborhoods and most highly populated neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And God has called us to that too, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he sent us for, is to do that. And we forget that at times, mainly because we just forget. It's how it goes at times. We just forget. And so I'm here to remind us. And I'm here to remind us of this, too. This is a quote from the movie Cowboys and Aliens. You can see, the, and this is a picture from the movie Cowboys and Aliens. See the cowboys fighting the space aliens? A priest on there, uh, the preacher on there said, God doesn't care who you were, only who you are. Are you his or not his? That's what God cares about. He doesn't care who you were because he can use who you were. He can forgive who you were. He can anoint who you were and He cares about who you are. Which is, are you His child or not His child? If you are His child, we're supposed to proclaim the glory of God and, and the good news to the poor and to set captives free. If we're not His child, we need to become His child. And we're sent, those of us that are His children, are sent to Recruit new children. It's what we're supposed to do. So I want to remind us again of our purpose statement. That's hanging on the wall right over there that says pray. Which is praise God. Reveal to each other, approach others for God and yield to each other. So it's actually five parts. The first one is pray. Do you pray for more than your meals? I had a lady one time tell me that she prayed for me every day, but God hasn't answered because I'm still there. <laughs> Which is okay. At least she praying for me. Which said, uh, you know, you're supposed to pray for your enemies. So she was doing that. Do you pray? Do you pray for me? Do you pray for the church? You remember just three weeks ago, my sermon was how to pray for your pastor. Do you pray for me? Do you pray for my family? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for the lost? Do you pray by yourself? Do you set time aside to pray? Do you pray in a group? You know, we have two um, prayer times. Saturday's at, at 6, and then Sunday morning's at 8.30. And by the way, as time goes on... and um, there'll be more than that going on, but you know, just praying by yourself isn't always enough. Sometimes it helps to be praying with other people, whether it's one or two, or five or six, or a dozen. Um, because when a group of people get together and start praying, miracles happen. And lives get changed, and, and sometimes it's our lives, the people that are doing the praying, more than the ones that are being prayed for. We were youth pastors at Salem First Church when the, when the pastor got fired. He spent more time in dirty bookstores and on pornography sites than he did doing ministry, and they found out about it. The church did. And away, he lost his job. And so between, you know, and a lot of the church didn't hear everything that happened. So between um, him leaving and a new pastor coming, which was almost a full year, it was 10 months, 11 months, uh, we started a Saturday night at the church, a Saturday night prayer time. And we had like 500 people showing up for the Saturday night prayer time. And it was specifically to pray for for the church, for the healing of the church, forgiveness of sins, and the new pastor that was going to come. Well, um, one Saturday night, we had a, a, I call her a little girl. She was 16. She was little. She was like 5'3". But she, yeah, that's little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, But she had this disease that her dad had and her brother had, which is your body just forms tumors. And But her tumor was around her hip, and it turned into cancer. And they were trying all that they could to shrink it so that they could take the tumor out. And on one Saturday night, I know this doesn't happen here very often, but over there it seems to happen all the time. You would, She had to have an MRA, MRI on Saturday night at 7 o'clock. That's when they could fit her in. And it was a, a, at a, a business that only did MRIs in Salem. And I'm going, well, that's a weird time. But her, her mom says, yeah, that's when we have to do it so um our prayer time went from from six to seven, but it always went overtime, it seemed. And at seven o'clock as she was going into the MRI, we started praying for her as a church. Five hundred of us were praying for her. Uh, the next day, her mom came to me and said, uh, "And I asked her how she her mom worked with the youth with me. her mom and dad both did." And I asked how it went, and she said, when Cassie came out, because it was 45 minutes, and Cassie was nervous because she couldn't lay down because the tumor was wrapped around her, her hip bone, her nerves, her arteries, and it just hurt to lay down. And she had to lay there still for 45 minutes while they did this MRI, which they're now faster. That was 20 years ago. Um, and I asked her I went, she she said, when Cassie came out, I said, How did it go? And Cassie said, When I first got in there, it hurt terribly. But then all of a sudden, about ten minutes after seven, the pain went away. That's why we were praying for her. And she said, I could lay there and everything went fine. Um, Cassie um, I'll just cry. Cassie passed away like three weeks before she was supposed to graduate from high school. But it's incredible how God used her because the miracle of Cassie was she got to be on the Fish, which is a radio station, Christian radio station in Portland and give her testimony. She got to carry the Olympic torches that came through Salem. They made a, a holder on her wheelchair so that she could carry it. And, you know, at her funeral, there's probably a thousand people. At this little girl's funeral. And Cassie still has an influence of what she went through and how God used her. And a lot of it had to do with prayer. Her dad would come to me every Sunday and said, I know God doesn't give us more than we can handle, which, by the way, I didn't correct him because God always gives us more than we can handle. But he doesn't give us more than we can handle with him because if we can handle it, we don't need him. But um, he he would come to me and and say, I know God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And and I keep telling God it's too much Then something else comes up. And it's purely by prayer. You know, and he quoted a statistic to me that said seventy five percent of couples that lose a child end up in divorce. He and his wife are still together. And and they're still working in the church, and they're still leading people to the Lord, and, and God's still using them. That's because of prayer. And I'm saying all this because we need prayer. That's the first point of our purpose statement is pray. So then the P, the R, and the A all stand for something which is praise God. That means pinpoint God. Home in on. Perceive no God. When we went to Ashland, we all came from different directions. But we all ran into each other. Driving... Lynn and I, you know, were um, on Willamette Pass. So we went down to Eugene and caught on the freeway. And Kelsey and Kyle and Elise showed up at Eugene about the same time we showed up at Eugene. And then as we're, then we went our separate ways because they drive a car that has to be plugged in and charged. And I just don't wait. (laughs) Um, so then as we're driving, and I get off the freeway in Ashland to head up to Hyatt Reservoir, there's a car behind me, and it was Aaron and Blaine coming from San Jose. They followed me up the hill to where we were going, because when we start pinpointing on something, which was the, our cabin at the Hyatt Reservoir, everything comes together and we when we pinpoint on God and perceive God and know God and I know it says praise God but you can't praise something you do not know you just can't do that you can talk about it but you can't praise it so the praise God is to know God Jeremiah 29:13 you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and in Isaiah we read that if we seek God, we can find him because God wants to be found. He doesn't want to be ignored or not looked for. He wants to be found. And we read in Romans chapter 1 that he says he put in, in nature everything that points to him. We just have to know that. Did you see the earthquake last week, week before last in California, put a big crack. I, you know the, those prophecies of of the '60s is there's going to be an earthquake and and California will fall off into the ocean. Uh, that's probably the start of the crack right there. But <laughs> I don't believe that. I'm just. <laughs> but but that crack. We read in Isaiah and we read in other parts of the Bible that that God's voice shakes the mountain and his footstep, moves the earth. We read that. And so to praise God, we need to know God and realize that that God is God. And so the, the R, and I'm just reminding us of all this stuff, is reveal to each other. Edify, live a life of worship to God. And that's the worship part. Romans 14, 17 to 20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves God in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Did you hear that? It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we also receive, uh, we're pleasing to God, but receive human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for food is, all food is clean, but it is wrong for people to eat anything that causes anyone, sorry, Still didn't go. There we go. It causes anyone else to stumble. And so worship is the way we live, it's who we are. Not just when we're here singing a song, because, you know, and in the last few years, well, last few decades, worship has been defined as singing. But worship is more than singing. Singing is a form of worship, but there's the other form of worship that is how you live you live for Christ or do you not live for Christ? If people uh, saw you on the street, would they know that you're a Christian by your actions or would they not know if you're a Christian or not? So it becomes the way we live is what worship is. It's a lifestyle. So our, our goal under R is to reveal God to others. We don't want to be like my professor in college. His name was Dan Berg. His name is still Dan Berg, he's, if he's still alive. Uh, he would be in his 80s or 90s now. In, in one of my theology classes, um, he confessed to us. He said, I'd had a busy day. I went to the grocery store. And I got the stuff, and I'd get in line... And when I got in line and I'm waiting, this lady just crowded right in front of me with her shopping carts. And I said to her, excuse me, you go to the end of the line. I pushed her shopping cart out of the road. He said that was on Thursday. On Sunday, he was preaching at a church as a fill in and that lady was sitting on the front row. (laughs) We don't want to be that guy. And I will say that I have had the opportunity to be that guy, and I've successfully been that guy. Uh, doesn't make it right, though, does it? And, and if we're all honest, we have had the opportunity to be that guy and been that guy, too. The good news is forgiveness. And so how do we change that from being the person that, that was that guy and drove him away to be in the person that shows God's grace, we go to them and apologize. And say, I'm really sorry that I do not want to be that person. Please forgive me. That's what we do. A- and the the truth of the matter is that may make a bigger impact on somebody than us uh, saying, you need Jesus. I, I saw that bumper sticker this week, uh, on a, and I saw it on a T-shirt too. The T-shirt was in Lapine at Gordy's truck stop. Big T-shirt that says "You all need Jesus." And how many people does that save? Not very many. But us being kind and helping somebody, and showing grace and admitting when we're wrong, that. Is worship. Because, and worship is because I love God, I will do things his way. Because I love God, I will do things his way. And, and people will be able to see that. So then the next one is the A, approaching others for God. There's my happy little family. Standing outside the bat cave. <laughs> right there. Uh, standing outside the bat bat cave, Uh, we got there on the 4th of July, so we took pictures in our 4th of July red, white, and blue shirts. And um, it took us about 10 shots to get that. But we got it. So we need to approach others for God because the Holy Spirit has anointed us to share the good news with the poor. And poor is not just the monetarily poor. Anybody that doesn't know Jesus is poor. Because they do not have Jesus. But some of the the ones that are the most willing to accept Jesus are the physically poor. Because they don't realize or they do realize how much they need God. The r- physically rich people, they know they need God, that something's missing, but they're not always willing to admit it because then they would have to admit that they can't do it on their own at times. And we often think that money is what saves us, but the truth is it's God that saves us. And so we have to approach others for God. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, then Jesus came to them, and this is after he's gotten off the cross and he's getting ready to go up into heaven. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know what that means? I'm the ruler of the universe. I have the power and the authority of Everything, he said. It's been given to me. And I'm going to have to do a sermon on this because verse 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." And so when you go back to verse 18, which says all power, there we go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. He's the ruler of the universe and he died for our sins. And he has power over not only life, but death, not only saved, but unsaved, not only the good in us, but the bad in us. Not only our successes he has power over, but also our failures. And you have to know, a lot of times it's our failures that God uses more than our successes. But he said, because all power and authority has been given to me, which is verse 19, because I have this power and authority, go and make disciples of all nations. Because I am who I am, you have to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it's even more than that. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Make disciples. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I didn't underline it in my Bible, and so I haven't looked it up again, but there's... The scripture in Isaiah where God says, I'm refining you. And he said, I'm not refining you like silver. I'm refining you, which would be a fire. I'm refining you with suffering. But he says right there, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the truth of the matter is, they went to major suffering to start evangelizing the world. They got persecuted in Jerusalem, so they went out to Judea and Samaria, and they just kept going on into Rome. Paul even, they say, made it into England. And Spain. And it was the Roman Empire that that was persecuting them once they got out of Jerusalem, but it was also the Roman Empire that made it able for them to do that because of the road system that the Roman Empire put in? You know, 20 years ago, Lynn and I went to Bulgaria. That was a long time ago. And, and on one of the, the... We got to go on a day trip. Jay and Tiana Sunberg. Jay's coming this Thursday, were the missionaries that were showing us around. They took us to a, a, a town that had recorded history 600 B.C. That's the town they took us to. And we went into a little shop. And do you know what? The little shop was built in a building that the Roman Empire, the Romans had built. It was in that building still. And cars were driving on the cobblestone that the Romans put down 2,000 years ago. And, And we got to see an amphitheater that um, they were, it was on a hill, so we were up on top of this hill, and they had excavated an area to put in an apartment building when Bulgaria was still under the um, Russian rule. Do you know what they found under there? An amphitheater. It had the marble columns still standing. It had the seats all there. It was just a, a half a theater, and the rest looked out over the valley. It even had, and it was for plays, it even had a two-story building built on the stage that they did their performing out of. That the Romans had built. But it was, the Romans did all that, but it was the Romans that spread Christianity around the known world. And it was through persecution. The suffering, because people would flee from one place to another and then tell them about Jesus. And they would flee from one place to another, then tell them about Jesus. But it, the Romans didn't stop that, by the way. You know, there's even nations today. I was just reading yesterday about how China's cracking down on churches again, and it's they're not bothering the churches that that you know the Westerners go to, the expats go to. They don't bother those. Because the Chinese aren't allowed to go to that. But they're bothering the Chinese ones where uh, last week they went into a church and burned the church to the ground and burned all their Bibles and everything that they had to the ground. And we read stories about people that, that are in prison and have been killed, not just in China. Did you know one of the biggest places of persecuting of Christians right now is Peru? And Colombia? Because when Christians save the villagers, they no longer work in the drug fields. And the the drug cartels are not happy with that. So they kill the Christians, which causes it to spread. Suffering. But we're supposed to go, whether it hurts or not, to share about Jesus Christ. We're supposed to approach others for Jesus And then the last one is, oops, the last one is yield to each other. Unity. We're supposed to yield to each other. Ephesians 5, 2. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know what submit means? I know I've said this in a sermon. It was a while ago. Submit is allow others to influence you. That's what submit means. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But it also says, Wives, submit to your husbands at the start of, of it, and it. And it says that, that husbands yes. are supposed to um, let their wives influence them. Allow them to influence you. And think about it. Lynn and I have influenced each other over the years. I pick things up better around the house than I used to. And, and um, she lets some things go. That that she didn't used to. You know, and and. Uh, our, our eating has, you know, she likes barbecue more than she used to, and I eat vegetables. You know, they, we, but not only that, we have to submit to each other, not just in our, our family, but we have to submit to each other in our church, too. Because there are some things that we just don't like. Because we don't like it. But that something might be what brings somebody else to the Lord. And there are some things well uh, an author that I read, Brennan Manning, said it this way. It doesn't matter the music, the style of worship, or where you're worshiping, you can still pray you can still worship God. If the music or the style of worship or where you're worshiping offends you, you've become an idolater because you're worshiping worship and not worshiping God. And it gets me because there are things I just don't like when it comes to worship. And there are things that I do like. And we all fit into that category. But we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for God because I should be able to worship God. Lynn and I went to a church in San Francisco that was definitely not Christian. They were only Christian by title. But they sang all the same songs we sang about worshiping God. And we could really worship God with those songs, but when it came to greet your brother with a holy kiss, I was not necessarily there. But I could still worship God. Because no matter, you know, God said we're two or three are gathered. I'm there also. And I had a group of 20. So I know God was there because we were there. And I know God was there. And I know there were other Christians there as well. I can just say that church has made some choices that I don't agree with. But I could worship God there because he was there. I couldn't worship real well during the sermon because it had nothing to do with God. But he was still there. And and I will say that we have to yield to each other. My way is not always the right way. Okay, let me say that better. My way is not always the way that we all like. And your way is not always the way that we all like. But the truth is... When we submit to each other, we worship God. And do you know what? That reveals to the world a whole lot better because uh, God said, Jesus said, You'll know, they'll know you're my followers by your love that you have for each other. And why is it that a lot of the fighting happens in church? It's because we don't necessarily like the way things are being done because that's not the way I do it. Uh, when it comes to music, it's, it's the music that we like is the music that we grew up on and that we were saved on. When it comes to worship styles, a lot of it has to do with just the way we like things. I like that, you know. And sometimes worship needs to get us uncomfortable. Sometimes church needs to get us uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to realize that it's not necessarily about me, but it's about God. And Ephesians four one and two is or one and three is another one as prisoners for the Lord then as a prisoner for the Lord then and so you know Paul was in prison when this happened. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, be completely gentle, be completely patient. And then you, I like that next one. Put up with one another in love. Just put up with it. In love. It was like I told you about Dale in Canada. His job as in the youth group was to meet anybody that first came to the youth group for the first time and beat him up or badmouth him. He thought that was his job. There was a hole in the wall in the youth room where he put a kid's head through it. It was terrible. Um, by the time I left, he was a whole lot better. But his dad used to come to me all the time. What are we going to do about Dale? And then, then one Wednesday night, because we had dinner there, the, everybody lived at like half an hour away from the church. So Wednesday night they had dinner. I'm standing in line with Dale's grandma, who was this tall. I mean, on her tippy toes, she was like 4'6". And Dale goes running by and slaps me on the back. And she was from Wales, so she had a real heavy accent. And she goes, isn't Dale so cute? Isn't Dale so cute? He's just like his dad was at that age. Put up with one another in love. She put up with him because she loved him. That's what we're supposed to do. So, you know, the next time um, Dale's dad, Eric, came to me and said, what am I going to do about Dale? And I go, it'll be okay, Eric. How do you know that? And I go, your mom says you were just like him and you turned out okay. So, you know, we have to put up with each other in love. And then this next one, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond, glue, of peace. Because there are some things that, that upset us, but they don't really matter. Just because it's not our way. You know, and so since my wife's not here, I can say this. This is my dad saying there's more than one way to skin a cat. There is more than one way to skin a cat. There's also more than one way to worship God. And sometimes we just have to hold in there for the sake of peace, the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not only us tolerating a younger generation, it's a younger generation tolerating us as well. It goes both ways. And so you need to know the church is here for God, not us. And we're here for God, not us. Did you know that? Jesus died for us, but it was all about God. We're here for God, not us. Isaiah 48, which you'll read this week in about three or four days. So I jumped ahead of you again. 48.8. 48, eight. Yes, I will tell you of things that are entirely new, things you never heard of before, for I know so well what traitors you are. You've been rebellious from birth. And he's talking to his chosen people. Yet for my own sake and for the honor of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. I have refined you but not as silver, so I guess I did get this in here. Rather, I've refined you in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my sake. I will not let your reputation be tarnished, and I will not share my glory with idols. Hear that? It's all for God. It's not for you. We get the results of Him saving us. But the truth is, we don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called a gift. And that's why this church is here, not for us to continue to learn about God, but we need to continue to learn about God, but for us to reach out so that others can come and know God too. That's what we're here for. We're not here to just grow. We're here to... Tell others about who God is. We're here to be used by God for people to be saved. And so here's the clincher. Isaiah 38, we read this yesterday, 19. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. That's what you're here for. You're here to tell the next generation about God's faithfulness. You're here to tell this city about God's faithfulness. You're here to tell this county about God's faithfulness. We're not just here to grow in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're here so that other people can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Each generation tells you your faithfulness to the next. That's what we get to do. And that's why I said earlier VBS is so important. God's faithfulness. VBS is us telling the next generation. For some of us it's two or three generations down the line, but it's still the next generation about the faithfulness of God. It's what we do it for, not just because we're supposed to. We do it because that's what we're called here for. So there's some things that are going to happen this fall, and I know it's getting late, and, and I, I'm i using the extra ten minutes that David didn't use last week, okay? <laughs> so, so you'll all have enough church in. Um, uh, this this Friday and Saturday, our board is having a retreat talking about these things, who we are, where we're going, and how to get there. So be praying for them. And, and this fall, the Sunshine School, did you know the Sunshine School now, right now in the four-year-olds has 15 or 16 kids already? And we have four or five in the three-year-old class. We need some more. And this is how you can pray for the Sunshine School. Not only do we need more kids, but we need a teacher to work with the four-year-olds, to work with Lynn and the four-year-olds. So be praying. Um, we can recruit you like they do in the Army, or you can just come and volunteer, either one. Um, works good for me. But but be praying. You know, if God's laying it on your heart, be praying. If If Um, It's not you be praying anyway, because we need somebody that loves God and loves our church and loves our children. We need that. So be ready for that. We have children's ministry and and teens ministry going all over the place. Small groups. And I'm including in small groups Sunday school. And we're going to have some training training. So, all you small group leaders, be ready. We're going to have some training for you. It'll be about five weeks worth of training. But it'll be really good. And we're going to start um, some more small groups um, specifically for you know for specific things. And so if God lays on your heart that um, you should be leading a small group, you know, whether it's um, a shooting group because you can have a small group, you can shoot guns, you can have the, um, a Bible study and shoot some more guns. That's okay. That's a good group to have. You know, and and um, our Supper Six group, our Dinner with Friends is going to kick off again in September. And that's a small group. So we're going to have some training for that too. And we have to remember and one of the things the board's going to talk about is, is what we can do as a church to reach our community. What we can do as a church to fill a need in our community. And so the very first key is to pray. Pray. And then we go from there. And if it becomes this great big uh, goal that there's no way we can do that, then we need to pray some more because if God laid that on our hearts, we really need to do that. And, And let God figure out the details. So remember, the church is here for God, not for us. Which means we have to put up with some of the people that God drags in here even if they're not like us. We need to love them and let Jesus save their souls. And we need to be willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes whatever it takes can be very hurting and very difficult to do. But we have to do that. So let's stand together. And...